Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a PYP Teacher. I'm Luke Gerlach, and this is confession number 78. We're going to focus on what does it mean to empathize as part of our design thinking challenge. This episode will focus on building empathy. If you feel like you have a solid understanding of what this looks and feels like in a school context, consider popping over to episode 79 to participate in the empathy challenge. So empathy 101. To empathize means different things to different people. It's not a one size fits all, which is a huge lesson I learned by being a PYP coordinator. The things that resonated with me from a leadership standpoint did not resonate for the majority of my staff due to cultural differences, learning experiences, and background knowledge. So how do we build a culture of empathy within our schools so we can move the work forward? First, we need to define empathy, which is the ability to understand the sharing and share the feelings of others. Let's repeat that. The ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Okay. Meanwhile, sympathy are feelings of pity and sorrow for someone else's misfortune. Both come from Oxford Dictionary. Completely different purpose. So if we look at empathy and sympathy, they are quite different. Although many people, many teachers mix them up regularly. So let's look at the difference. When we empathize, it's the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. That means we put ourselves into the experience of others to try to understand their feelings and their point of view. We're doing it in times of struggle, absolutely. But we're also doing it in times of success. So we might have a friend who has lost their job and we're gonna go and speak with them and try to resonate with them and, and speak of, you know, the. Uh, of their sadness and empathize and be there for them. But we're also going to remind them of the times that they got a job and how successful they were. And they're going to be successful again to buoy them up. That is what it means to empathize, right? It's remembering those successes. And it's also remembering those times of struggle. Whereas society pit sympathy against empathy, which is not the same. Sympathy is, remember, our feelings of pity and sorrow for someone else's misfortune. That means we feel sorry for someone and we're going to go there and provide them support. Okay. This paints a completely different picture because we only offer sympathy to someone when they're in a negative situation. Think about that. The negative breeds negative, as we know. And we feel bad for them. And that's why people say, I don't want your pity. Instead, what they're saying is, I want your empathy. That's what they're saying to you. And so how does this look like in a school? Why does this matter? Because oftentimes in school settings, and I understand it as a teacher, I would want to give a medal. Let's say we're having a class competition. I'd want to give a medal to every child. But what I quickly learned by giving a medal to every child 
is that the children didn't go through the struggle of losing. And life teaches you that. And when you're not prepared to lose, you don't grow. And then you become what's called a sour loser. That's how you can tell children, you know, like on a sports team, when a child gets really upset, another team won, or they get really upset that their teammate lost the game for them and they go off and yell at them. That child does not have empathy. The child has not learned to deal with the losses and to be happy for the other team. And you see this in major league baseball players sometimes where after like a world series, um, they're going to shake each other's hands and others are doing it more kindly where others are like begrudgingly do it. Levels of empathy difference. And why does that matter in real life? It does because we're trying to create humans who can interact with each other. Humans that are gonna go over in middle school and we're preparing them for middle school that a child is up for a class play and their best friend is also up for a part, that same part in that class play or that school play, sorry. And their friend gets it. Instantly that child can feel sorry for themselves. That's, that's natural, dang it, I didn't get it. But when a child has empathy, they don't sit in the corner and cry that they didn't get the part. No, instead they run over smiling, laughing, hugging their best friend and saying, you got it, I'm so proud of you. No one deserves this better than you. That's empathy. And to be honest, I did not realize until I was a mature adult, the difference between empathy and sympathy. Emphasis on mature, because it takes a great maturity, self-efficacy, and understanding to show empathy. And there are times I own it that within a school, I did not show empathy. I showed sympathy for myself. So I was reactionary. I was angry. I was combative. And I apologize to anyone who was on the receiving end, end of that. I am not that person now, thankfully, because I've developed empathy. But when we're trying to get our initiatives in the planning process as a teacher to be understood, and we don't want to listen to what the rest of the team has, we don't have as strong empathy as we could. And so that's where this is so important in changing practices within our school. We have to have empathy. And there are going to be people who have a different, you know, we're all on a different continuum of empathy. And there are going to be people that have very little as it grown people. We naturally think we grow into empathy as we age. No, we don't. The, a person could be, have very little empathy as a child and grow up to be a grown person and still have that same level of empathy. Just because you're older doesn't mean that you're better. In, or I should say stronger, not better, because that sounds value-laden. Does that make sense? And I'm going to speak to my own self that I have grown in so much empathy. I've been a very reflective person all my life, but I've also been reactionary. I've also been hot-headed. Um, some people have said that's the Korean me. I also think that's the German in me, right? And combined with the American in me, oh my goodness, I'm one hot-blooded person. But what I'm saying to you is this. Empathy helps us 
to change how we operate in the world because it requires us to let go of our egos. And I'll be honest, that's, that's what stopped me from accepting the team's decision was my ego was crushed. Empathy also helps us into looking at perspectives from another person's point of view. And maybe it's multiple points of view. Sorry, I got tongue tied there. It's also helping us to go through struggles and recognizing that being empathetic to ourselves, that that's okay. You tried, you did your best. Now let's keep going on. That's also right for ourselves and saying, there's going to be a better day tomorrow. And you can tell the people who wallow in their misery and the people who have feel empathy is because they're able to put, as they, my mama used to say, put on my big girl panties and keep moving. Right. And so it changes behavior and we need to have empathy as a staff in order to move forward in changing, uh, changing systems, not necessarily problems, but systems that are holding us back. And until we have empathy, we can't move forward. I'm sorry. And, and I'll be honest is that it took a lot of changing my heart and mind in order to embrace it. And so I really grew by looking at different um, pieces that we're going to look at in this challenge. Uh, one piece was from um, a resource from Harvard University. It's called How to Build Empathy and Strengthen Your School Community. I'm going to pop this link into the description so that you can read it yourself. It's all about shaping mindset, right? And empathy helps our learners um, with this mindset shift. All right. So how do we do this? How do we appropriately engage and work with others, build those lasting relationships, problem solve, and see situations from multiple perspectives? We have to build empathy, right? And those are the skills that are needed in order to build empathy. Imagine if all our learners were able to empathize. There would be no bullying, no clicks, and no categories. Oh, that children is a jock. Oh, that children is musical. Oh, that person's popular. Um, oh, that person's a cheerleader. Oh, that one's a math whiz. Oh, that one's a nerd. Here is a 100% proud nerd, honey. Um, but nerds read books and get educated. Hello. Okay, sorry. I digress. But I'm proud to be a nerd. Proud, proud, proud. But... Are, but that doesn't mean that you can't be a jock and a nerd, right? And you can't be a cheerleader and a nerd. You can. And, and those labels are so divisive. Instead, we just need to be people. We are people who express ourselves in different ways. That's why I love how we express ourselves as a transdisciplinary theme. It's because it helps us to showcase our individual strengths. All right. And our desires with the world to break down and build empathy. So how do we do this in our schools? We model it. <laughs> You're going to say, what, Lou? That sounds intuitive. Why are we talking about this? But you'd be surprised how many teachers really lovingly care for their students, but don't necessarily show it because of feeling of I got to control the class or whatnot. So I'm saying let's stop that. 
And let's start to model what empathy looks and feels like through think alouds. We see a squirmish happening in the classroom and we stop the class to say, hmm, I've recently just seen this situation happening and I wonder how we could do things differently. And we go through that think aloud process so that they can reflect and get the buy-in from the other, cla the other um, classmates of how to solve this problem, right, authentically. Then we explicitly teach empathy because we could be modeling it all day long, but as the kids don't understand what it is, that that's empathy and they can label it and be able to paint a picture in their mind, it's not going to transfer to new learning situations. And we do this by authentically mapping and weaving that language of the PYP into this practice. And this is why we don't do standalone lessons for the approaches to learning as much um, learner profile and concepts. We're trying to weave it into the content and weave it into our interactions with our students so that it's more meaningful than a standalone lesson on what it means to be knowledgeable and resilient. So I'm going to model a um, process and I want you to think about um, what this might look like, right, in your context. Right now, we have a crisis in the world, and there are things children are hearing and saying and doing. And if I am an upper grade teacher, so I taught fifth grade, and around this time of the year, we talked about um, revolutions and ways that conflict shaped our world and how conflict shapes our access to resources with sharing the planet. And we would always be focusing on it from that lens. Why do people have conflict over resources? And we can't be talking about that without, talk, without politicizing it, without polarizing it. This current conflict in the Ukraine, why is it that people invade others? Why? Why do governments do this? It's not the people. There's lovely people on, all around that region, people that are family members and they're devastated, people that are Russian, people that are Ukrainian, that love each other and saying, why is this happening to us, to our families, to our best friends, to our cousins, to our connections, our business contacts? And so how do we frame that so that learners can see that all conflicts throughout time have the same causes? The, the leaders, whomever are leading the conflicts, want power, they want money, or they want control, or all three. And how does power, money, and control lead to uh, uh, these types of situations? And to further, you know, and a child might come up with that connection by the learning that you um, present to them. So let's say a child um, does come up with that connection and they're sharing it with the class. What are some possible responses of how you would um, deal with that? Is Here are some possible ones. How did you become so knowledgeable about conflict around the world and over time? What led you to make these connections? Now I'm carefully embedding the learner profile attributes that we're focusing in on the unit and the key and related concepts. Knowledgeable, conflict, which is a related concept, and connections, which is a key concept. Another possible question. 
If you were in this situation, meaning about the Ukraine, how would you remain resilient through these difficult times? Now we're utilizing the approaches to learning to guide the thinking. Explicitly teaching empathy within the context of our units requires us to think and to support the many elements of the PYP. Even more, it helps us to create good humans that care about other people and other things in this world. Now, how does this impact planning? Now, the number one thing that I constantly hear from other teachers is time, time, time. I don't have time. So how do we practice empathy and these other elements of the PYP within our teaching time? To be honest, as an experienced um, PYP teacher, I can do this with my eyes closed. I can build empathy um, throughout my curriculum. And the way I do it is by making relevant connections, meaning real life connections to my students and their world and significant connections where they're looking at how's this impacting my local community? How's this impacting the world? And that's how um, you take things like conflict and revolution and connect it to what's happening in the world right now. Okay. As a new teacher in this process or one that is growing in my process, it might be hard for me to pull that out. It might be hard for me to feel like, ah, I've got all this content and ah, I've got this new PYP and how do I do this? So something that has really helped me in building empathy and character development where I'm being able to leverage um, those approaches to learning, the learner profile attributes, and even the concepts is utilizing those inquiry thinking strategies that I presented in the very first inquiry challenge um, in the beginning of my podcast. They're now in a guide called Think, um, Think About Inquiry. Um, it is, I'll put the link um, on um, of where you can find them um, below this um, podcast description as well. I think that helps, right? How do I make relevant? I would start there. How do I make relevant and significant connections um, to the learning? And then the language will naturally come in. How can you show caring about that, right? That really helps. Now, the, the big nugget, school culture. You can determine the feeling of a school's culture by walking just through the front door. It's shaped by how adults engage with each other. How are their bodies physically postured? How are they talking to each other? How's leadership talking to teachers and other staff members? How are the adults speaking to the learners in the hallways and within the classrooms? How are um, children talking to each other. It's also reflected on the walls. The walls tell you what you as a school community value, how it's expressed, who gets to express it, and how it's shared. And we cannot make these lasting changes within a school without empathy. School culture is founded on empathy. We need to look through the lens of great things that are already happening in the campus. Every campus, doesn't matter where you are located, whom you serve, there's wonderful things happening there. But sometimes the systems within the school overshadow those wonderful things. So we have to highlight, spotlight, 
bring out, dig deep all of those great things that are happening there and the great people that are happening there. Then we have to look at, well, what are the things that are kind of our obstacles, the big insurmountable things that are in our way? We own them. We put them to the side, right? But we're also looking at, okay, how are we going to take one of these things and take a nugget of one of these things and co-create a plan on how we can tackle it realistically and break it down? That's why this is a multi-year process. Reshaping school culture does not happen overnight. But let me be clear, it all begins with our school leader and how they engage with everyone on the campus because the rest of the community follows that school leader. And oftentimes we blame the school leader for the effectiveness of the school. They are the captain of the school, but maybe it's also because they need to be developed. They need to learn how to show more empathy. They need to know how to teach, um, you know, to lead with kindness or with more strategic, uh, strategic policies or with more equity and diversity. Who knows what that is? And maybe they don't even know. And that's where their leader comes in to give advice and so forth. But the reality is that the leader of the school holds the key for empathy in the school. They decide and set the tone for what is welcomed and valued on the campus. An egotistical leader is going to take umbrage when others, their subordinates, succeed and move on. They're going to gossip. They're going to complain. They're going to take it personally. While an em emphatic leader is going to praise, share the successes with everyone else, tell everyone else as new people come in, we couldn't have done this without this person who is no longer here, but they are forever in our hearts. So what are some strategies we can employ to support and grow our school leaders so they set a tone of empathy? Now, the final piece that I want to talk about is learners struggling with empathy. When people are raised in environments that are always fight or flight, their brain, their hearts develop differently. I've worked in these communities. My heart still breaks for some of these babies and some of these teachers, teachers who hold on to trauma from their childhood that they bring back into the classroom experience, right? In a different way. These are learners that are continuously learning how to navigate uncertain situations in order to survive. So how do we support these traumatized learners, young and old, who have difficulty, difficulty feeling empathy for others? So what conditions do we need to create in order to make them safe? Oh, I don't know about you, but my brain is so full right now. And I'm sure you want to go participate in the empathy challenge based on the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. If you have any thoughts or ideas about empathy, uh, uh, strategies that you have found that work, please post them 
um, on my Twitter at think or tag me at thinkchat 2020 or go to my LinkedIn at Lou Gerlach, L-U-G-E-R-L-A-C-H. I'll see you over at the challenge.